The world population hit 8 billion this week. Sorry about that. I need to bite the bullet and start using condoms. Welcome to the mop-up for November 18th, 2022. I'm David Feldman coming to you from an air shaft overlooking a parking garage somewhere in Manhattan where the temperature right now is partly cloudy and 43 degrees. Please subscribe to this channel. Hit the like button. It it helps. Share this on social media. You, you may not think it assists the growth of this show, but it really does. We're a small little show. Every vote moves the needle. Many of you are asking what happened to the longer shows. I will explain everything about why these shows have gotten shorter in just a moment. Donald Trump declared he is officially running for president again. Trump promised to return America to those golden days of three years ago when we had one million COVID hospitalizations and the entire country was in lockdown. I'm still, I'm nostalgic for that golden era. Now, Donald Trump has a problem. See, part of his charm, his allure, is he's a bully. And his followers love how he picks on people because he says the things his acolytes are too frightened to say. He picks on the weak, the frightened, you know, like Dave Chappelle's monologue on Saturday night. But this could end up being a significant problem for Donald Trump. Here he is making fun of Biden for being old, doddering, and he's getting laughs. Our enemies are speaking of us with scorn and laughter and derision. Now we have a president who falls asleep at global conferences. <laughs> he said thank you to the wrong country for inviting him to a major summit on the environment of all things. He calls the country a name that was actually a country on another continent. <laughs> so that was his declaration speech, right? Mar-a-Lago this week, making fun of Biden for being old and senescent. This is funny and powerful, and it's effective portraying Joe Biden as disoriented and forgetful, or as I call that, Reagan-esque. But here's the problem for the 76-year-old Donald Trump. He himself is no spring chicken hawk becomes president, there will never be a war within weeks. Okay, I played the wrong clip. Uh, so let me try, try that again. Uh, so he was talking about, in his declaration at Mar-a-Lago this week, he was talking about how the naysayers back in 2016 warned this. There will never be a war within weeks. OK, there will never be a war within weeks. Right. Pay, pay attention to this. There will never be a war within weeks. What they meant, what he meant to say is there will immediately be a war in weeks. He, he misspoke. He meant to say there would be there would be a war within weeks. And instead, he said there will never be a war. OK. That's okay, but not in the same speech where you're bullying Joe Biden for the same infir infirmities that, uh, you know, that you're suffering from. In Trump's speech, he complained that his opponents warned that he was a warmonger who would send this country off to war the second he was president. Wars like you've never seen before. It will happen immediately and we will have Wars like you've never seen before. It will happen immediately. Well, we did have wars like we've never seen before, and they did happen immediately, just not overseas. The war started right here in America because of Donald Trump constantly warning about the enemy within. Donald Trump made it OK to hate Arabs, Muslims, blacks, Jews, women, the LGBTQ community, the transgender community. Donald Trump declared open warfare on anyone who wasn't a white male heterosexual Christian nationalists. That's what America First is all about. 
This dates back to the 30s, the isolationists, Charles Lindbergh, the America firsters who didn't want to go to war with Germany. This is what isolationism is all about. Don't fight overseas, fight the enemy within. At least that's where it always starts. America first means let's deal with Americans first. Cull the un-American before we start destroying lives overseas. But back to Trump's bullying problem. Yeah, like I said, he's going to run on Joe Biden, Biden's cognitive decline. But he's going to have trouble doing that because Trump is showing his age as well. Here he is once again trying to prove his Charles Lindbergh isolationists bona fides. And yet I've gone decades, decades without a war, the first president to do it for that long a period. Trump said he went decades, decades without a war. And yet I've gone decades, decades without a war, the first president to do it for that long a period. That makes absolutely no sense. How could he go decades, decades without a war? He was only president for four years. How could he have gone decades without a war? Unless, unless by decades without a war, he meant dodging the Vietnam draft. Maybe that's what he meant. Trump gave the speech from Mar-a-Lago, surrounded by hundreds of simpletons jockeying for access to him, trying to get into his inner circle because they're too stupid to imagine the six-figure legal bills awaiting them after he lets them in. When you work for Trump, you're going before a grand jury. You're going to be indicted. Ask Alan Weisselberg, possibly prison. And yet, and yet, there are still people willing to get close to him right now. His daughter, Ivanka, this week officially announced that she's having nothing to do with her father's run for president. But you know who's back with Donald Trump this week? Steve Bannon, Roger Stone. They've, they've bad-mouthed him for years, but they're back with him. And why do they want him to be president again? Because they need more pardons. That's the only way Donald Trump gets people to stay with him. You work for Trump once, you get indicted, you rack up legal fees, you get convicted, then he pardons you. But not for future crimes. These people are habitual felons. People like Roger Stone, people like Steve Bannon. These are habitual felons. They can't help themselves so even though they hate Trump, they need him to be president again for another pardon. That's how he pays his campaign staff, basically. Instead of money, it's the promise of a pardon. Most of the people closest to Donald Trump right now are pardons waiting to happen. One person who doesn't need a pardon from Donald Trump is Mike Pence, who has that perpetual grimace of a man who just sharded, doesn't he? Whenever Mike Pence talks, he, he, he takes these long pauses and squints like he just sharded and doesn't know who to blame it on. This week, he hit the talk shows pushing his new book. And no, it's not the Bible, but it's filled with just as many fairy tales, especially about January 6th. Here is Mike Pence describing his Oval Office meeting with Donald Trump a few days after January 6th. This is Mike Pence in between charts describing his first meeting with Donald Trump after the insurrection. But we sat for more than an hour and a half, and I was candid with the president about my disappointment. And I must tell you that... Um, I sense the president was deeply remorseful in that moment. Now, I know that's at odds with people's public perception about him, but I want to tell you it was true. 
I could tell he was saddened uh, by what had happened. Yes, Trump was saddened by what had happened because there weren't even any rope burns around Mike Pence's neck. He was very saddened by what had happened. He was more sad by what didn't happen, Mike Pence. They set up some scaffolding and a noose outside the Capitol to hang you. And when it became apparent that if they found you, they were going to make you swing from the scaffold. And Trump sat in front of the television while this was going on with a bowl of popcorn, not wanting to miss a thing. And then... Mike Pence describes wrapping up that post-insurrection meeting with Donald Trump. He told me many times that he was a believer, and I told him, well, turn to Jesus. Yeah, well, see, Trump doesn't turn to Jesus. Jesus turns to him, at least in Donald Trump's fevered mind. What is is Donald Trump going to say to Jesus? Jesus, I, I hear you turn water into wine. So what? I turned a gas bag into vice president. See, the problem with Pence is he is never wrong. And that, I guess that's the great thing about having his buddy Jesus with him all the time. There's nothing wrong with Mike Pence because he's never done anything wrong. And if he thinks he's done something wrong, his imaginary buddy, Jesus, says, no, you're right. It's the rest of the world. They're wrong. For example, here is Mike Pence taking questions from the audience last night at a CNN town hall. This is a question from a woman named Andrea. Barbara, thank you. I represented Madison County in Congress for many years. Andrea. It's nice to see you. (laughs) And he sharts. It's Andrea, not Barbara. Nice to see you. Watch this again. It's great. Barbara, thank you. I I represented Madison County in Congress for many years. Andrea. It's nice to see you. Nice to see you. No, yeah. Nice to see you. Not, gee, I'm sorry I got your name wrong. Instead, No, you have the wrong name. You're a Barbara, not an Andrea. How do I know? Because I'm right and you're wrong. Because I have Jesus on my side. One more time, watch it again, because this really is Mike Pence, a distillation of who Mike Pence is. Barbara, thank you. I I represented Madison County in Congress for many years. Andrea. It's nice to see you. Nice to see you. Like, whatever. I'm not going to embarrass you on live television and tell you your name should be Barbara and not Andrea. You're wrong. I'm right. Nice to see you. Let's move on. See, that's what fake Jesus, and that's what Mike Pence believes in. He believes in a fake homophobic Jesus. It's a fake Jesus. That's what fake Jesus gives fake people like Mike Pence. Fake Jesus gives him moral certitude. And from moral certitude comes just plain certitude. If I'm morally right, then I'm right about everything else. Like your name, Barbara. That's what moral certitude from fake Jesus gives Mike Pence. It gives him the certitude not to regret a single day in those four years as Donald Trump's vice president. Moral certitude. There's no way joining the Trump administration could have been a mistake because I prayed on it. Jesus told me it was the right thing to do. So I can't be wrong. So when Trump wanted to hang Mike Pence to die, that can't be because Mike Pence is a bad judge of character. No, that wasn't because he got into bed with an entire movement of deadbeat racists and con artists who are antithetical to everything Jesus teaches. No, Mike Pence can't make mistakes. He has moral certitude and he got it from fake Jesus. No, he's proud of his years with Donald Trump. And all Trump needs to do 
is turned to my imaginary friend, fake Jesus, then all is going to be forgiven. Then it never happened. See, historically, this kind of thinking, this moral certitude that Mike Pence exudes when he's not sharding, this kind of moral certitude leads to just certitude and it gets millions upon millions killed. George W. Bush had the same moral certitude. He had the same friend, fake Jesus. And in the 2000 debates against Al Gore, he was asked who his favorite philosopher was, and Bush said, Jesus. See, if religion, any religion, mine, yours, anybody's religion, if religion guides you, that's fantastic, but stay away from my military, stay away from my nuclear launch codes, and stay away from my government. I don't want your moral certitude, because your moral certitude leads to certitude that creates wars that never end. Like wars against the LGBTQ community, which Mike Pence will continue to wage no matter what laws are going to be passed today or over the weekend, like the same-sex marriage bill that is about to be passed. In a 62 to 37 vote, 12 Senate Republicans joined Democrats on Wednesday in support of the Respect for Marriage Act. Now, this bill has not been passed yet. It's not yet ready to be signed by Biden. That was a procedural vote this week, setting the stage for a final vote, possibly today. So right now, right now, the Senate loves the idea of gay weddings. They're not quite yet married to it, but they're close. Senator Lindsey Graham, seen here realizing his manicurist gave him a satin finish instead of the glass-flecked finish he paid for, Senator Lindsey Graham this week voted no against same-sex weddings. Lindsey, Lindsey, Lindsey. Oh, the length some men will go just to find an excuse not to get married. The only knot Lindsey wants to tie is around his neck to heighten his orgasm. Voting against same-sex marriage, Lindsey, it's the oldest trick in the book. I love you, honey. I want to marry you, but it's illegal, which has also been said by Congressman Matt Gates to every underage girl he Venmoed to Washington, D.C. Voting against same-sex marriage. Good work there, Lindsay. I hope you enjoy sleeping on the couch. But this new law, if it passes, and it looks like it will, uh, it has been written to ensure that religious institutions that speak out against same-sex marriage can still maintain their much-coveted tax-exempt status. And that's one way to, you know, come up with a, a compromise. You know, religious organizations opposed to same-sex marriage can still speak out against same-sex marriage, and they won't lose their tax-exempt status. That's a, you know, a good compromise. But I have a different compromise. What do you think about this? What if religious organizations opposed to same-sex marriage lose their tax-exempt status? Wait, hear me out. And so do religious organizations that support same-sex marriage. Isn't that a better compromise? We, we force religious organizations to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's? I think that's much smarter. Democrats in the House and Senate seem to be moving very quickly on codifying same-sex marriage into law after Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, seen here remembering the decades of pain caused by the Karamatsu decision, Thomas, in a concurring opinion on overturning Roe v. Wade back in June, said in that opinion that the court should now take another look at overturning the Obergefell decision, which legalized same-sex marriage. So that's why they are passing this bill, because the Supreme Court is coming for 
same-sex marriage. So, a few things about this. If same-sex marriage is codified into law, it could happen today. Biden could sign this tonight, Saturday, Monday, or whenever Lady Gaga says she can make it to the White House for the ceremony. You need to take this good news. You do. You have to find good news where it is. And this is good news. Otherwise, you won't be able to get out of bed in the morning. This is going to be really great news. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of marriage equality in 2015, not even a decade ago. And at the time, there weren't too many Democrats who were willing to introduce it as legislation. When you look back to 2008, Hillary and Obama were running against each other for president. They supported civil unions for same-sex couples. They didn't believe in marriage equality. There was no way they were going to run on what was right, marriage equality. That was 2008. And there was no way same-sex marriage, marriage equality, was going to pass in the House or Senate when Obama or Trump was president. We needed the courts to give us marriage equality. That was the only way we were really going to get it, and they did it in 2015. Now, if this bill passes, warts and all, it will mark the first time, I think, Democrats delivered in the legislature uh, on one of the big social issues they, they claim they're for. In the past, they relied on the Supreme Court to tackle the big social issues that they run on. Let's remember, the Democrats have always been for abortion, but they never codified it into law. It was the courts, not Congress, that gave us legal abortion. And it was the courts, like I just said, who legalized same-sex marriage, not Congress. But today, it looks like the Democrats are going to change that dynamic. Chuck Schumer, seen here, about to begin a press conference, watching as his legislative aide tries to remove the prepared statement from his briefcase and instead accidentally stumbles across Chuck Schumer's dog-eared copy of Jugs magazine. Chuck Schumer, I thought, has handled this pretty, pretty good. He waited until after the midterms to get this law passed. Uh, he didn't want to force Republicans, one-third of whom were running for re-election, to take a tough vote before the election, right? So he must have struck a deal. I'm going to assume Schumer said to Republicans, I'll hold off on this vote that will embarrass you, maybe lose your re-election. And let's wait for a lame duck session if you'll then agree to vote in favor of same-sex marriage. And it looks like some Republicans, I think there are about 12, are keeping their end of the bargain. This is, this is how laws are passed. It's smart politics. As for codifying abortion, I just don't think there are any Republican votes to be had during this lame duck session. I don't think there are. More than one week after the 2022 midterms, we are now certain Democrats have lost the House. And yesterday, Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced she's staying in the House, but will give up her leadership role to focus on doing what she loves doing most. Absolutely nothing. She's going to remain a congresswoman, so she says continuing to serve the wealthy white millionaires of San Francisco. And that's pretty much doing nothing with your life. But she's not sticking around. Trust me on this. She's going to be gone. She's waiting until her husband can drink and drive again. So the two of them can tour the vineyards of Tuscany when she becomes America's next ambassador to Italy. Pelosi's decision to step away from the Democratic leadership leaves a gigantic vacuum, identical to the gigantic vacuum she created by becoming Speaker. 
83-year-old House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, seen here wishing Nancy Pelosi would die already so he could get some of that speaker action. Steny Hoyer, a Democrat from Maryland on Thursday, also announced that he too is stepping down from his leadership post. Well, he's not stepping down so much as he's being chair lifted down. He's 83. I don't, you know, he's going to stay in Congress, but don't you have anything better not to do, Steny Hoyer? Why not do nothing in the private sector? Or what about not doing anything with your grandchildren? Certainly all that time doing nothing in Washington took you away from not doing anything with your family. What about taking up a hobby, like not collecting stamps? Or maybe not traveling? Wouldn't, wouldn't you and your wife like to not see all the places you've dreamed of not visiting? People like Steny Hoyer are afraid of retirement because once they leave Washington, then they won't have something not to do. And they then feel useless. But I do have a serious question for Steny Hoyer. Nancy Pelosi's resting on the laurels of Obamacare. Steny Hoyer, what are you most proud of? What's your greatest accomplishment in Washington, D.C., besides making, making it to the bathroom on time after lunch? Representative James E. Clyburn, Democrat from South Carolina, said he will be quitting his job as majority whip to focus more on what day of the week it is. Another octogenarian. Did you ever listen to Clyburn, Hoyer, and Pelosi try to speak, try to speak? They barely string together a coherent sentence. They make Joe Biden sound like John Mashita Jr. John Mashita Jr. FedEx commercial guy from uh, before you were born. Well, we'll know at the end. <laughs> Jesus. We'll know at the end of the month who is replacing these cowardly lions of the house. Meanwhile, leadership elections are in 11 days, and it looks like the Democratic caucus in the House is going to unite behind Brooklyn Congressman Hakeem Jeffries to replace Nancy Pelosi as minority leader. Jeffries is 52, and I think he's exactly what establishment Democrats really need, a fresh breeze of stale wind. Jeffries is currently chairman of the House Democratic Caucus, and if elected, he would become the first black lawmaker ever to lead a party in Congress. And that's great. But you know what would be even better? What would be even better is electing the first black leader of a party that would actually help black people by reigning in Wall Street instead of taking contributions from Wall Street. What we essentially have right now, if... Hakeem Jeffries becomes the House Minority Leader. What we will have is Chuck Schumer, a Wall Street bagman from New York, running Democrats in the Senate, and Hakeem Jeffries, another Wall Street bagman from Brooklyn, running Democrats in the House. And how do you think this works out for us? Like when it comes to fixing income inequality by controlling Wall Street, we will once again witness what I call the tantric jerk-off. The tantric jerk-off. This is what the tantric jerk-off is. We will see bills introduced by Wall Street darling Hakeem Jeffries. He will introduce bills to reign in Wall Street. And he'll start stroking us. He'll jerk us off. And we'll almost get these bills all the way through up the shaft. But just when these bills are about to squirt out, someone will miraculously kill it. And it's what I call the tantric jerk-off. Convince the left you're on their side, stroke the left, get us fantasizing that Wall Street, that Wall Street will be reined in because Hakeem Jeffries knows where all the bodies are buried and just keep stroking us. And just when we think the bill is about to pass, the stroking stops, the dirty talk ceases, 
And I look down and nothing's coming out of my legislative branch. Nothing. Because it was just the same old tantric jerk off. And, you know, we'll get them next time. We tried. That's what they'll say. We, we, we came so close this time. That's what they say after the tantric jerk off. We'll get them next time. We tried so hard. Hakeem Jeffries famously said, I'm a, quoting here, he said, I'm a black progressive Democrat concerned with addressing racial and social and economic injustice with the fierce urgency of now. Mm. But then he quickly added, quote, there will never be a moment where I bend the knee to hard left democratic socialism. So that makes him a liar because no hard left democratic socialism means there's no way to address racial and social and economic injustice with the fierce urgency of now. The fierce urgency of now. How much did you pay for those four words? The fierce urgency of now. Here, Hakeem Jeffries, I got some language even more descriptive of you. Style over substance. The fierce urgency of now. Jeffrey wants to address racial and social and economic injustice with the fierce urgency of kicking the can down the road for six more decades. So how will history remember Nancy Pelosi? Certainly better than she can remember it. You know, there were the two Trump impeachments. I thought that was impressive. She tore up one of his speeches. That was great. And that's it. Nothing else. That is it. That's all she has to show for her years in the Democratic leadership. She might think she has other things to show, but that is it. Two Trump impeachments and one torn speech. What did Nancy Pelosi accomplish? Did she build housing for the unhoused? Homelessness has gotten worse on her, you know, I was going to say her watch, but she never cared to look. She's a landlord. Healthcare is worse. Unions weaker. Don't tell me unions are stronger. Starbucks and Amazon still haven't recognized those unions. Nancy Pelosi today could cancel federal contracts with Amazon and Starbucks and say, unless you sign with the unions, the federal government is not doing business with you. But she won't do that because her husband owns stock in those companies and so do her children. Corporations got stronger and the people got weaker, partly because of Pelosi. Instead of gun control, guns control our streets, and Medicare for All never got voted on, while Medicare is getting privatized. The war in Afghanistan went on for 20 years. She controlled the purse strings with one war authorization after another. The planet got hotter. The oil companies got richer. Not a single windfall profit tax for Exxon. The minimum wage is still $7.25. Hasn't been bumped since 2009, which means it's been eliminated. $7.25 an hour means there's no minimum wage. It was eliminated while she was speaker. The Trump tax cuts from... For the wealthy, still haven't been repealed, but, but, but she's a role model. Yes, a role model. Nancy Pelosi taught a generation of young girls that if you put your mind to it, you too can do the impossible, like serve in Washington for 30 years on just a government salary and still end up with a $200 million fortune. Yes, we can. Well, you, you must respect Pelosi. She's a survivor. So is Joseph Stalin. You know who's not surviving? You know who's not a survivor? People who voted for Nancy Pelosi thinking she'd deliver on health care, 
an affordable, or better yet, free college and a decent wage for a decent day's work. But look at her. She's 80 and still going strong. Yeah, she's going strong. Nobody else is, but Nancy's chugging along with those $50,000 Harry Winston brooches on her Vera Wang for the Sunday morning talk shows. Way to speak up for the disenfranchised. She and her husband are worth $100, $200 million. She does not speak for us. She is a fundraiser. That's all she ever was. She's a role model for nobody other than every Mill Valley, California, multimillionaire doyen without a care in the world. Oh, but you say Pelosi gave us Obamacare. Let's talk about, let's talk about Obamacare, shall we? Obamacare, giving me Obamacare. That's like the surgeon telling me, I fitted grandpa with the new hip, but he died on the operating table. I know it's not what you hope for, but you'll be able to bury him with a brand new hip. That's what Obamacare is, and that's all it is. Obamacare, that's what she claims she has to show. In her speech yesterday, that's what she claims she has to show for her years in public service, Obamacare. Obamacare was the single worst thing ever to happen to American patients, doctors and nurses, and the best thing ever to happen to the health care, the health insurance industry. United Healthcare closed yesterday at $522 a share. When Obamacare was signed into law, United Healthcare was selling at $28 a share. You tell me who Obamacare helped. The number one cause of bankruptcy in America, getting sick. You get sick in America, you either die or you go broke. And if you have Obamacare, you die broke. Obamacare should be called GoFundMe Care. All those GoFundMe pages that we must set up where do you think that money goes? To the health insurance companies. It wouldn't surprise me if GoFundMe was owned by United Healthcare since they're the largest beneficiary of it. The health insurance companies are subsidized by our government. That's what Obamacare is. It is the government subsidizing the health insurance industry. And because United Healthcare went from $28 a share in 2010, when Obamacare was signed into law, to $522 a share yesterday, that means it must go to $1,000 a share in two years. And how does it get there? Well, it gets there by you and me fighting over Dave Chappelle's Saturday Night Live monologue instead of focusing on what's important, instead of doing what's important, and that would be storming the offices of United Healthcare and taking a massive Taco Bell shit on their CEO's desk. The CEO of United Healthcare is Andrew Witte. Know the name, Andrew Witte, W-I-T-T-Y. This is a picture of him without the swastika carved into his forehead. He is a serial killer. Andrew Witte, CEO of United Healthcare, is a serial killer. Nobody has more blood on their hands than Andrew Witte, CEO of United Healthcare. He's a serial killer and he's British. He's not even American. It's like Jack the Ripper never got caught because he moved to America and took over a health insurance company. Americans set up GoFundMe pages to pay the health bills that our tax dollars are supposed to be paying. But the hospitals and the health insurance companies need to show record profits quarter after quarter to please the shareholders 
So they keep raising prices, they keep raising premium, premiums, and they do that by denying us access to doctors, to treatments, to medicine. That's how they squeeze more profits. Deny, deny, deny. Obamacare made the health insurance companies and the for-profit hospitals more powerful, not less. Obamacare turned out to be a license for the health insurance companies to print money and kill Americans. And instead of deporting Andrew Witte, the CEO of United Healthcare, instead of demanding our government put these health insurance companies out of business, instead of, oh, I don't know, a national strike where Americans agree to stop paying our health insurance premiums, where we agree to stop paying our health care bills. Instead of solidarity, we fight amongst ourselves and then end up having to build these GoFundMe pages to make sure serial killer Andrew Witte, the CEO of United Healthcare, continues to steal hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for himself from our government. He's just stealing money from us. So that's Nancy Pelosi's crowning achievement. Obamacare? How dare you? How dare you? Yes, yes, more people have health insurance, but how many people use it? If you're young, and you have Obamacare, it's like wearing seatbelts in a 73 Chevy Nova. You think you're safe until you need it, but you have no idea how utterly useless seatbelts in a 73 Chevy Nova are until you're rear-ended by Paul Pelosi and you go flying into a telephone pole. And the same applies to Obamacare. It's just a security blanket. Nancy Pelosi... There she was today, Nancy Pelosi, telling Congress that she's most proud of passing Obamacare. Really, you're proud of Obamacare. Madam Speaker, health insurance policies under Obamacare are like handguns. In the past decade, a record number of Americans now have them, are too afraid to use them, because when they do use them, they end up dead. How many people with Obamacare, when they get sick, end up working full-time just to see a doctor, end up working full-time just to get the doctor's operation approved by United Healthcare or the prescription approved? Having health insurance in America is a full-time job. You have to work eight hours a day to get the health insurance companies to give you what they owe you. We work for the health insurance companies, sitting on hold, filling out the same three forms a hundred times, and then they lose it, and then you have to fill it out again. Not just the patients, also the nurses and the doctors. Why do we put up with this? Because Nancy Pelosi tells us it's the best that she can do. No, actually, it's the worst you can do. It's the worst you can do. Obamacare is a failure. This is not progress. We are falling behind while the health insurance companies and the for-profit hospitals, and even worse, the non-profit hospitals are getting richer. How is it possible that non-profit hospitals have record non-profits? We were supposed to have a public option. Obama promised us that. Biden promised us a public option. But no, Obamacare made health care more, not less, more beholden to Wall Street. I love the way the Democrats frame Obamacare as a positive step forward. No, Medicare was a positive step forward. Obamacare is 20 steps backwards. You see, a step forward, at least for Democrats, for progressives, a step forward is a step away 
from the health insurance companies. Away. That's a step forward. Obamacare is a major step backwards because it made the health insurance companies more powerful. If you have a chronic illness like diabetes, heart disease, or cancer, Obamacare makes you dependent on CEOs like Andrew Witte, whose business model for United Healthcare specifically is to wear you down until you die. You get sick, the health insurance companies tell you, slow down, slow down here, stop and smell the roses. What's your hurry? We'll take care of it. Everything with you is so rush, rush, rush. I get it. Your lungs are filled with fluid and you have two minutes to live. But that's no that's no reason to talk to me in that way. I don't appreciate the tone of your gurgle. I find your gurgle menacing. I'm sorry. I know you're frustrated, Mr. Feldman, but I find your death rattle abusive. It's not part of my job description to sit here and have your death rattle speak to me this way. I need you to calm down, take a shallow breath, and wait your turn. That is Obamacare, where the tone of your voice, the way you talk to a doctor or an administrator, is the crime. Not that you're talking to a paid serial killer. It's the way you talk to them. That's the issue. Baked into this business model here in America for the health insurance companies is killing you. That's how they make their profits, by killing you. I was at Walgreens two weeks ago trying to get a prescription filled for my elderly next-door neighbor, and they're putting me through the paces with the insurance companies and the incompetence, and I finally shouted, you know what? You're right, I'm wrong. Let me, I'm sorry, my tone of voice, I apologize. I'm gonna go back to Mr. Andriotti's apartment and see if he can die for you. Would that make things easier around here? I want to be a team player. So I'll be back in two hours. Let me talk to Mr. Andriotti, and let's see if he'll be kind enough to drop dead for you. I said that. Still couldn't get the prescription filled. Uh, That's the business model. Tie your treatment up, your medicine up, your operation up, and paperwork so that by the time you finally see a doctor or get your prescription filled or receive the operation, you're dead. That's Obamacare. That's Nancy's crowning achievement. Thank you so much for Obamacare. See, we don't like to talk about how our healthcare system is a slaughterhouse because we don't want to think about it. We just don't want to talk about it. It's rude. I'm the hater, right? If Nancy Pelosi's idiot kids are saying this right now, they're going to go, haters have to hate. I'm not the hater. I'm not the hater. I'm not responsible for millions upon millions of Americans dying from greed. So... We celebrate Nancy Pelosi yesterday. We're celebrating Nancy Pelosi on MSNBC. We're calling Obamacare one of her signature achievements. We're supposed to be grateful for Obamacare. Why? Why? Because it has Obama's name on it and Mitch McConnell was mean to him? Could you imagine if this was Bushacare? And it could have been. It could have been Bush care, Bush care. Obamacare is based on Romney care. Mitt Romney invented Obamacare when he was the Republican governor of Massachusetts. Romney care and Obamacare are the same thing. It's a, a Obamacare is a Republican health care plan. And if the Republicans, if a Republican president had introduced it, there wouldn't be a single Democrat willing to sing its praises. And there wouldn't be a single Democrat offering an alternative. But they just wouldn't like Bush care. But, you know, it's a branding exercise. Obama slaps his name on a Republican windfall for the health insurance companies, Obamacare, which is essentially a transfer of wealth from our government to the health insurance companies. And because it has Obama's name on it, 
Nancy Pelosi goes on MSNBC last night to burnish her legacy with it. It's Obamacare. No, but children can stay on their parents' health insurance plan until they're 26. How about no health insurance? How about we get rid of health insurance? How about universal health care like every other industrialized nation? How about that? How about Obamacare is a failure? A baby born today in America has an estimated life expectancy of 76 years. When Obamacare was signed, life expectancy was 79 years. Our life expectancy dropped almost three years since Obamacare was signed into law. That is not a step forward. That is at least three years in life expectancy backwards. I call that failure. United Healthcare's profits grew bigger and we've gotten shorter. Seriously, since Obamacare was passed, Americans are getting shorter. Defenders of Obamacare say, well, you know, those life expectancy figures, uh, that includes COVID and opiate deaths, so it's unfair. Excuse me. COVID and opiate addictions were caused by Obamacare. So the, 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 the lower life expectancy that happens because of COVID and opiate addiction, that's on Obamacare's watch. It's Obamacare's fault. If this country had single payer, or at the very least a public option for health insurance, we could have reined in the hospitals and the drug companies who are both singularly responsible for record COVID and opiate deaths. No other country has had the record number of COVID and opiate deaths because no other country has Obamacare. No other country allows their health care to be run by for-profit serial killers. And that's all because of Obamacare. Obamacare didn't make things a little better. It made things a lot worse. We were told Obamacare was a Trojan horse that would eventually give us Medicare for all. Bullshit. Obamacare is a Trojan horse that has given us all anthrax. Not Medicare for all. It's a Trojan horse that has given us anthrax. So go ahead, Nancy. Run your victory lap holding up Obamacare as your torch. Now, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Biden, Obama, Steny Hoyer. I know politics is hard. And I know this Republican Party is a bunch of fascists and that it's impossible to get things done in Washington, D.C. But the Republicans are fascists and it's impossible to get things done in Washington because of Democrats. As Democrats, it is your job to prevent the conditions that give rise to fascism. And you do that by getting things done. But you don't want to get things done. You, you want things to stay the same. But if you're not changing, you're dying. And while you're dying, someone else is going to come along and take your place. Time marches on. If you don't have an alternative, the fascists do. And the Democrats have lost the House. This is Hakeem Jeffries. He wants to be the minority leader, and he wants to be the next Democratic Speaker of the House. Hakeem Jeffries is Obamacare. Hakeem Jeffries is Obamacare. Democrats will try to convince you that he is a step forward, just like they told you Obamacare was a step forward. But trust me on this, Hakeem Jeffries just like Obamacare, is a love letter to the for-profit medical establishment. 
And he is a gigantic step backwards for the 99% as Pelosi, Hoyer, Biden, Schumer, and all the other deadbeat neoliberal Democrats preceded him. He's just like all these other deadbeat neoliberal Democrats who have not just destroyed the Democratic Party, they have destroyed the unions, the working class, the poor, the homeless, single moms, children, and the planet. I am a Democrat. I'm a Democrat. Let our civil war begin. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to this channel and please like this. Uh, hit the like button and subscribe to this channel and share this on social media. You might not think doing things like that helps, but it really does. We're a really small show. Every vote, every vote moves the needle. So when you like this and when you subscribe to this, when you share it, you have no idea how much it helps. Now, let me address, I, I said I was gonna address the lengths of the show. Many of you have noticed this show has been shorter and I know you're accustomed to six and seven hour shows and those shows will be coming back, I promise you. I miss them, let me tell you what's happened. I bought a new computer and I could no longer use Zoom on it. I spent a few days trying to fix it. Apple said it was Zoom's fault. Zoom said it was my internet provider's fault. And my internet provider said it was my fault. Anyway, the combination of sitting on hold, it was like, you know, dealing with Mr. Andriotti's prescription uh, and not being able to get, a, you know, like a solid state resolution to this problem with my computer. I found a lot of pent up anger boiling over and some sadness. It's been a, you know, been a rough year for all of us, rough three years for all of us. And I realized turning out two six to seven hour shows twice a week, 52 weeks a year, plus office hours and my other radio show that I do and my day job and something resembling a personal life, it's all too much. So I had to pull back just a little to soak, to soak in to think, to take, to, to think, you know, I was, life is uh, breathing in and breathing out. And I think for the past couple of months, I've just been breathing out. So I need to rest a little. Uh, I'm perfectly fine. I just need to rest. I have to resolve the technical issues. I get on the phone and I am overcome by rage, blinding rage. And uh, I have to solve this issue with Zoom. I can't do the four hour shows, the seven hour shows. I can't have guests uh, without Zoom. So the long shows, the live shows will be coming back. I miss everyone. I know we have all been stressed out. There's been a lot of loss and unnatural change. What I'm going through is no different from what anybody else is going through. Uh, I'm fine, I just need to recharge. So be patient, the long shows are coming back. You'll miss the short shows, I promise you. <laughs> we'll be dropping eight hour shows and you go, I miss, I miss it when Feldman was depressed. In the meantime, you can subscribe to my newsletter, which comes out every Friday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern. And if you want to talk to me, I am doing office hours. Uh, you won't be able to see me live. I have to do it on my phone. But uh, I'm going to be at office hours tonight at 8 p.m. I'm always there for the first 90 minutes. So whatever you want to talk about, I'm there. And then the community takes over. Uh, go to my website and hit the office hours link. It'll take you right in. Also, if you subscribe to my newsletter, uh, it includes a link to office hours. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect 
the week. I was going to play, there he is. I'm going to play some Mike. I miss Mike Steinel. I'm on my way to be a billionaire. Now you can make fun of me, but I don't really care. I have a plan to get there by and by. As long as I stay healthy and I never die Fifteen bucks an hour Five days a week Fifty-two weeks a year And thirty-two thousand years I know it's a long time, honey To thirty-four thousand and twenty But when I get there, babe I'm gonna be in the money I'm on my way Now you can make fun of me, but I don't really care. I have a plan to get there by and by. As long as I stay healthy and I never die. All I really need is a second job or a third. Lift myself up my boots and join that elite herd. Of the 600 billionaires in the USA Who make more in a second than I do in a day I'm on my way, yes I do I'm on my way I'm on my way Oh, yes I am Make fun of me, but I don't really care. I have a plan to get there. Yes, I do. By and by, as long as I stay healthy and I never die, as long as I stay healthy and I never die, as long as I stay healthy and 